Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you, as always, is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Tonight's guest I've known for the better part of 20 years, okay? I first met him at this retail store called Sam Goody. They used to sell CDs in these plastic cases. You'd hand the teller money, and then you get 15 songs or so, and you go home, you listen to them, you fall in love. And I love music, and he loved music, and you know, when I first met him, I was a little bit older than him, I think he was still in high school, and I immediately knew that he had just vast maturity, he had an old soul, and was easy to talk to. And we maintained friendship for a bit, and I even became his teacher briefly, and we'll get to that later in the podcast. But the one thing that I've never told him, and I'll tell him here in this intro, is sometime around like maybe 2005, 2006, I was kind of unsure about myself as a musician. I started this band called Downtown Harvest. Now, from working with tonight's guest, I knew that he had musical tastes that weren't necessarily influences of Downtown Harvest. He was more into the heavier stuff and were black and really dug Jack Skeleton and stuff like that. You know, So when he told me that, and he was like, no, no, for real, Bob, this music's good. It validated me as a musician amongst my peers, and I felt really good about myself to the point where I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can torture myself for seven more years with Downtown Harvest. And I did, man. And then later in life, you know, we became even tighter. We started seeing each other more. Uh, we started hanging out in the, actually, the same circle of friends. And, uh, you know, doing he, he was in the movie industry for a little bit. I was a screenplay writer. We would constantly chat about things. Coincidentally, it's going to be his third appearance on the Bobcast, okay? The first appearance was at the, I don't even know the episode number, but if you want to go back and Podbean, okay, it's the Midwinter Scottish-Irish Festival, and we'll get to that later, because I don't want to spoil what happened during that show, because I want to get a little commentary on the action that Ian Reed set forth that night, and then he appeared a second time, actually, when Downtown Harvest played the Ardmore Music Hall, and I was broadcasting from the green room the same night that Pierre Robert was there, and this this is the same show that I get texted about every year, because I, I guess it's in his uh, memories. Uh, Pierre, sometimes around noon, goes back at all of the concert events, and I'm totally humbled to have Downtown Harvest be one of those things. Um, so yes, uh, you know, with that being said, uh, a total, like, all-around good dude, old soul, stoked to have him here on the show tonight. Please welcome Zach Coleman. Well, thank you very much, Bob. That was very nice of you. Uh, that actually, radio voice. I totally forgot that I had been on this before, but I remember both of those occasions because yeah. they're pretty memorable. Uh, actually, you know, I, before we get into the memory part of the podcast, you know, and getting all silly, you know, uh, stuff like that, I do want to say at the beginning of the show that, uh, you know, one of the things that you, I mean, you not only helped me as a musician, but uh, at one time you took my band out to your, your father's place and we played at the Bullfrog Brewery and I got a chance to meet him and I just wanted to say may he rest in peace because I knew he meant a lot to you and uh, he was a cool dude. I met him for like a 24-hour period and I could tell that he loved his son and he loved life. And he loved listening to music, so may he rest in peace. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the old man was a great guy. I never met anybody that didn't like him. I always and, loved how you called him the old man, too. Yeah, it's the old man. It's still the old man's house. Old possibly. man to see. Actually, you were 
mm-hmm. you were just talking about when you guys came yeah. back from California. Uh, we were just cleaning this house out at the beginning of May, mm-hmm. and we still, I think we probably got rid of 100, maybe 150 of your guys' three-track demos. Oh, wow, yeah. We still had some of those. Man, I forgot about that one. Yeah. I had the, like, the Downtown Harvest logo that was like, fat a patch. Man. Yeah, the Fat Man. Jesus. Yeah, I, you know, right I remember the machine that we used to make that thing. It was like a little robot. It had a robot hand. The robot would like take the CDRs, burn it, then put it in the tray. I miss those days, man. I even miss Sam Goody, dude. Let's, let's take it back to Sam Goody, okay? Let's, how odd is it? When's the last time you were in the Plymouth Meeting Mall? Probably about a month ago because I yeah. took Dylan to get chick-fil-a and there's nothing in there. there's nothing left okay so i haven't gone in there since the comic book store left that was the only reason i was going there weekly or you know monthly for a long period of time and i haven't been to the plymouth mini mall now in maybe four or five months but fye downstairs aka sam goody where we used to work still has the exact same wall they had the back door office open once and i, I snuck in there because i was like you know i always had a crush on sam you know i remember sam if you're listening it's true <laughs> um you can dm me you know i'll give you my address come arrest me because now she's the police officer you know well she was talking about that this was she, she was talking 17 about 17 years ago 1999 2000 she was like i'm gonna be i'm gonna leave this place and i'm gonna become a police officer and she did just that and i think that she was the first I think for me, she was the first like woman that I had met in my life that was so fucking powerful, man. Like she just like she had like she was like, hot too. She was hot, but she was also she was like she had that like uh, mentality of being like I've got all the energies in the world. I've got you know a little bit of this that. You know, I was intimidated by her, man. I was just like, oh my god, I just want her to like me. I just want her to you know think I'm a good worker. You know, and. Um, yeah, I had a straight crush on her, man. I remember yeah, I wore a jean jacket, did. and she was like, "You look like, uh, you look like Wolverine," because Wolverine wore like a blue jacket. And I remember, like, twenty years later, I still remember her telling me that and just being like, "I love you." Yeah, but it was yeah, a fun it was, job. It was good times. It was good times, man. Because that was the, the like I believe that ninety nine two thousand is like when music is just starting to like realize, oh shit, we're in trouble. We ain't gonna be selling these things no more. You know what I mean? Like we're we're not gonna have a business. That we could, you know, continue with. We still had a gigantic tape section that yeah, Rob we Templeton did took care of. Templeton. Yeah. yeah. He loved them tapes. I forgot about that. Dude, that was, Actually, was, that was it. That's all he did. I was talking was to tapes. Rob uh, uh, last uh, night. He invited me to uh, the Comic Book Gurus podcast. I've been on that show twice, but they're doing the live taping at the Franklin Institute. Yeah, Steve Morrison's going to be there. It's a big deal. He's part of the MMR dude, Army. Rob... I forgot about the tapes, dude. I forgot how many dude, it hours. Was half, it was a huge section of the story. But he would spend hours. That's there. all he did. Yeah. And then creep on young girls and stuff. It was, you know, he's kind of his that thing. Was his, that was his thing. He was just like, check he's, out this cassette tape. And his scarves. Oh, man, dude. He, dude, he still got that <laughs> shit going on, man. It'd be like fucking hot out. And he's just like, nah, can't lose that rock star look. It's a look. Absolutely. But you know that was I'm way past that ago. now, man. I don't even give a shit when I I'm wearing like right now I'm wearing gym shorts, tank top. You know what I mean? I don't even think about that no more. I got in this whole debacle last week on uh Facebook with a bunch of people claiming that uh Rockstar shouldn't wear uh shorts on stage. Dude, people can wear whatever they want. I don't exactly, give a shit. dude. You know? I mean well, I guess if you're a local band and you're like trying to make it in the world, you can't get up there with cargo shorts, but whatever. I mean if you're up there and you're ripping it, nobody cares. No, not at all. But even like right now, I'm 33. My wife's like, "Oh, you need 
you know, a nice pair of shoes. Oh, well, now that you have the shoes, you need a, those jeans don't go so well. You need to get a nice pair of See, jeans. See, that's the worst, dude. When it's, someone's like, you're at this age now and you got to fix your life. Like, you know, hey, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with just wearing whatever, but yeah, it makes her happy and it is nice to have nice things. But it's kind of strange getting older. You know, you can't. Dude, 33 was a great year for me. Okay, 33 is the year that Jesus Christ supposedly was crucified. So I used to bet that motherfucking number on the roulette wheel nonstop thinking it was going to pay off. Never and then did. the real depressing thing is, is like you only got 34, 35, and 36 left on the roulette wheel before you become old. And you can't bet on your, your age no more. So that's where I'm at at age 39. I'm outside the wheel. Well, yeah, you're the same age as my wife. She's actually about two weeks older than you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm cool with it. You know, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of people struggle with getting old and stuff. And yeah, I'm I'm starting to get gray and stuff like that. But whatever, man. I've had a lot. I'm thinking about it lately. It's just like I've had a really good life experience. And uh, you know, there's there's a couple things that I'd, I'd like to change. But in the meantime, it's it's a privilege to grow old in this day and age because people are dying left and right. You see that thing with Jackson's buddy that just died? Yeah, I did. So this guy Morgan, I haven't thought of Morgan dude in ten years. I've never knew him. Um, I knew him, but I hadn't thought of him because. You know, you, Life. Just, you forget. Yeah. So Morgan used to be at the old grape when we used to play down on the river and he always be backstage and he always like he had this like ability to just be like, uh, like you walk in the room and he immediately make you laugh, you know, or like we I remember one time I had this conversation and there's a picture of him online on Jackson's page. He's wearing like a red um like a red uh, Marty McFly type uh, vest. And yeah. I used to like pick on him about that all the time. And uh, yeah, rest in peace, bud. But also too, it just sucks because it's just like a fucking ongoing trend in our generation now where it's like, up, oh, he's dead, he's dead, she's dead. And the, you know, we don't talk about it in the obituaries and stuff. And who knows, Morgan may have passed somewhere, somewhere, some, somehow other than drugs or alcohol. I'm not sure and I shouldn't make that assumption. But I know from experience with my friends, they're all dying because of drugs of alcohol. And drugs and alcohol are mixing them together, or fentanyl, and uh, it pisses me off. Well, you're, you're saying that as I'm drinking a beer. Yeah, uh, but you but, know what, though? You've always been responsible, though. Well, You've always been a responsible drinker, as whereas, you know, like if I was smoking on something or doing something else, I've always been responsible. I understand. But the, see, the thing that's scary, that scares me now, Zach, is that you don't know what's coming. You, you never know. You don't know what someone's going to put in shit. And I'm not saying you should do drugs at all. I'm not saying you should drink or do anything. You should do whatever you want in life, but you should live. Well, it's you bring this up about our friends as well, and I don't know if because I'm more aware of it since my father passed, but it seems to be people's parents are passing too. You know, I'm yeah. 33, going on 34, and a friend of mine. Do you remember uh, Stephanie Ricky? Yes. Her father just passed over the weekend. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And like, it just seems more and more our parents are dying at younger ages. Uh, it's just, it's a really shitty feeling. Uh, you were talking about getting older, and the one thing that the old man taught me was, well, if if you're not getting older, it only means one thing. So be happy you're getting older. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a bad thing, and it, in a way, uh, you think about it like I always worried about my old man. You know, what is he going to do when he gets older? Because he was still doing construction at 59. And he had barely turned 59 when he passed. But, like, he can't keep this up. What is he going to do for a living? And in a way, as kind of harsh as it sounds, like, I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have to watch him yeah. deteriorate. I didn't have to watch him get old and, you know, he can't wipe his own ass anymore. Stuff like that. Because he yeah. lived three hours away. I couldn't 
be there. It's really tough, man. I visit my grandma every uh, week, sometimes twice a week. Yeah, see? And um, she's 97 now, and uh, thankfully she still has her wits about her. But I, I do think that it's just, I mean, we're all going to get old, and we all don't think we're going to get old. It's the inevitable, but sometimes the the inevitable now with science, you know, they're saying that they could extend the age expectancy to like 125, 130, these scientists and shit. And like, you know, I mean, Christ, did we ever think that we'd be able to go on the Internet and find out everything we want? Twenty no. For me, like 20 years, yeah, 20 years later, okay, from high school, okay, thinking that I could find out. You know um, exactly you exactly what boat was at D Day because we're recording this today on June sixth. You know what I mean? Like you used to have to like fucking work for it. And I'm sorry I'm using that f word so much, but it's okay. been bothering me a lot lately. Thinking about just how much technology affects everything in our lives. Yeah, not always for the better. I mean, it was really nice to just not get a phone call at night. I know, dude. So the other night, last night actually, we went to uh, her dad's house. And I left my um, my my phone home on my keyboard, and I didn't have my phone for three and a half hours. And even when I got home, I forgot about it. And then when I got my phone, I immediately felt this sense of anxiety that I had let people down that I didn't text them. And there, sure shit, was a whole bunch of texts. Bob, where you at? Hey, it's me. You know, it's like, hey, I'm out there in the '90s again. Yeah, I do the same thing. Whenever I go to the movies, I never take my phone in at all. I turn it off. I throw it in the glove box, or I'll leave it at home. That's uh, interesting that you bring that up, Zach. I, I don't just, even bring it in. My phone right now is face down on silent. Yeah, you don't want to I don't care. It. You don't want to say it? No, I, I want to do... This is what I want to do. I yeah. don't want somebody to text me. And you get that argument. You know, when my, my father fell, it was in the middle of the night to get a phone call. I woke... Yeah, I didn't wake up from it because it was on silent. But what difference would it have made if I answered it at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock? It, it still happened. And you couldn't I, have controlled that. No, exactly. So that that someone argue he was always meant to fall. It, the well, yeah. The the you idea know? that oh well, I need to talk to you right now or this and that like it's weird, it's, right? It gets annoying, man. I don't like it at all. Mm -mm. And doing the work that I do, people always seem to call you right when you're in the middle of working. And I'm like, well, why didn't you get it done? Because like, you fucking called me three times today. Like, yeah. So I mean, like, there's that, and then there's like. Uh, yeah, it's the worst when you think like, oh man, like I don't have my phone and something bad can happen because that feeling only exists because of the invention of the actual said phone. Because back in the day, I do remember just briefly, you know, as an adolescent dealing with stuff like that, where it was just like, I don't, I didn't know. Or, you know, like I remember going to school and finding out about a party through just somebody's story, you know, of what I missed. And I, I, I romance over that sometimes. And I think to myself, my God, that's gone and my son will never have it. And, uh, you know, the only thing that's really left and it's also being sabotaged is uh, the movies. You know, like you were saying, too, like you just made me think like I was thinking to myself the other day, like at least that shit's still going on. You know what I mean? At least I can drive by the Regal and be like, ah, I could go still see a movie. You know what I mean? Like the old school way. Not be bothered. What other things like the movies can you still do? That are not tampered by technology. There's not many. I mean, I'm not really prepared for this question. Yeah, but, I mean, it's weird. And even I mean, even like, the movies are not a guarantee because we've been in the cinema, oh, yeah. and people will pull out their phone and text, and I, I just ignore it because you know what? You're the movies aren't cheap. 
Especially if you get popcorn and all that shit. But I just sneak beers in. And I want to I want to see this. This is what I want to do for the next two hours. I don't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know what's going on. I want to be immersed in a story. And it's the same deal with reading books. I used to go to the bar to read books because nobody yeah, would remember really, that. Yeah. yeah, nobody really bothered you. It was white noise. And then somebody would eventually say, hey, Why what are you reading? reading? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm not reading shit anymore since you bothered me. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> And then you make friends, and you can't go to the bar for to read anymore. But you know, it, my buddy, you know John Stewart, right? Yeah, John Stewart used to do that a lot. John Stewart would take like three or four novels, and just go have like you know three or four pints, and just burn to them books. It's a good time, and it it the white noise really helps because when you're mm-hmm. sitting at home, and everything's quiet, and then your neighbors mowing their lawn yeah, or a bird, like think, it's kind yeah. of distracting. But when you hear enough conversation where you can understand what's being said you kind of zone it out and you can focus on your book yeah it's really weird when you like you you try to like cancel out that noise and you try everything possible so i mean this is what i do it may not work for everybody but you could try it okay and i learned this from my friend paula at work so shout out to mrs paula eagle okay you push your thoughts down all the way into your size 11s 10s or 9s whatever you got i got eights push them into your feet and think about them actually moving your problems through your body, getting down there and pushing them through the floor and out back into the earth. Because when you're feeling a certain way, it really is just, you know, it's a, the it's a state of, of like, mind. It's a state of mind, really. And it's really weird that everything just lately is, I've become so hyper aware of just the consequences of everything that's going on right now is that we really have just drastically changed everything in the course of two decades and think about the 50s the 60s the 70s and 80s all that progressive nature even now still with people trying to rewrite laws in 2019 we still don't got it together you know we may pretend because we got a thousand dollar stand for the new macbook that we know what we're doing but we don't because nobody knows what's going on no that's what they talk about adulting and especially when i was in the film business it was the credo was Fake it till you make it. I know, dude. My wife, I, t- I, t- I say that to my wife all the time. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Yeah. You know? One thing I've learned from working in the film business is if you look the part, mm. if you know the right lingo, people who don't know anything will believe you. Will believe you, yeah. Absolutely. I walk in, even in now that I build elevators, I walk in. Dude, tell me about elevators, dude. How scary is that shit? It's, it's work. But you walk in with a, a T-shirt that says, you know, whatever company, and you tell them you're here to work on an elevator. They don't know any better. They go, oh, sure, here's access to the whole building. Yeah, you're, you, you are basically uh, Dennis Hopper in Speed at that point. <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, you're like, I'm in. Yeah, and, well, uh, you, you just... The whim of a madman. It's amazing how people are... And it's not... I don't want to say that people I do are, know that as well, Zach. It's so, aloof, it's so crazy how aloof people are. They are, and it's not necessarily their fault because no, they're not informed not yeah. but no this is what I, I th- this is what i think man i think in life there's three gears okay there's the gear that you know some folks are on where it's like you know pedal to the metal let me figure this stuff out let me enjoy as much as i can said the two people in this room the second one is automatic where it's just you're just built automatically man you're just going through the motions you're like monday tuesday wednesday happy that's like your 30s you're just yeah you're just like whatever and then you know some you can get you know affected but you're just not tuned into like whatever the real frequency is and when i talk about frequency you might say hey is bob losing his mind no it's being 
the frequency of being aware of something that's going on and change is happening all around you. Some people don't even acknowledge it. They just accept it like they do red stop stop signs and green means go. You know what I mean? Like It's ingrained. You always got to question what's going on. When, what? some, when somebody walks into my building like, hey, I'm here to work on elevator B. I'm going to be like, we don't have an elevator B. <laughs> we, well, they're numbered, so. Ah, uh, they're numbered. See, I got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> dude, what's up, what's up with the number 13, dude? When did that start? Well, the, I don't know when that started, but it. If you really think about it, because I was actually just in North Jersey last Friday, mm-hmm. and it went, and you see it. I was at the Hard Rock. It's the same deal. It'll go 12, 14, 15, but if you are a person of logic, floor 13 still exists. Just because you call it something else doesn't change it. It still exists. Um, I don't know why it's a thing, though. Man, it's weird, right? Um, with movies, you know, you, you had a chance to be on the set of some cool shit. Yeah, a um, lot of stuff. Tell me, like you know, you did tell me, but tell the audience, what was the defining moment? You're like, yeah, this is just so much fun to be around. It was, I mean, the day that I really feel like I made it in the movie business was I was at my friend's house in Astoria, Queens, mm-hmm. and it was September 10th. It's probably mid afternoon. We were outside smoking a joint, and the union called me. And as I say, hey, Zach, is Local 52, are you available for work? And I said, yeah, absolutely. They go, okay, you're going to call so-and-so, you're going to be on Boardwalk Empire tomorrow. And this was That's 2010. Awesome. No, I'm sorry, 2012, because it was in the third season. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they told me that, and I worked on Boardwalk Empire for a week, it was just like, holy shit, Like, this is what I want to do what for a living. What was the sets like? That was in New York, right? They uh, the sets were out by uh, it's not what's the name of the studio there that they got. Uh, you're probably thinking of Steiner Studios. Yeah. Steiner Studios is mm-hmm. the Navy Yard, um, the which is set, by that Chelsea Pier or no? What's it called? No, Chelsea Pierce is Sorry. in Manhattan. Okay, um, but with the scene, if you there's no spoilers here because it shows pretty spoiler, much spoiler. Whatever, it's a spoiler as soon as you tune into the Bobcast. But the when uh, Unix or Nucky's wife. Uh, where she works at the bank teller. She, uh, yeah. She, yeah. When her boss blows her brains out or his brains out, um, that is a location. It's a, actually is an old bank in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And that was my first job there. We had to go there and we had to strike the set. Mm. So I didn't know anything. I had watched, you know, the first, maybe second season of the show, but I didn't know what we were doing. You don't get a script. You don't get anything. We were set dressers. So you either setting stuff up or you're tearing stuff down. Mm-hmm. We call it striking. So when you're setting stuff up, are you taking design from the set decorator or do you looking at like visual aids of where to do things or? Yeah. So the, you have a production designer, the production designer, plans everything and then they have a set decorator the set decorator buys all the stuff finds you know they source everything for them and then that shit rolls downhill to our lead man and the lead man says here's a you don't even get a blueprint you get pictures and say this is what the room is supposed to look like here's the materials Mm -hmm. make it look like this and then they want to move everything you know a quarter of an inch here a quarter inch there um so basically, that's what you're doing is you walk into a completely blank room mm-hmm. and you you lay carpet, you do tile, um, you hang pictures. You'll you know, when we do tile, it does it's not done the right way. You just you don't throw up a backer board or anything. You just throw it against the wall and make it look good. 
Yeah, it's, dude, I I miss it. It was the best job I ever had, but it was also a lifestyle. You know, Uh, you work 12 12 hours at, yeah. 12 hours a day minimum. Yeah, it's rough. But it was great, and I really enjoyed it. It was a cool community. You Mm -hmm. really got to know and like the people that you were working with, uh, especially being in the union. You know, you got to see those same people time and time again. Now, when you get in the union, you got to pay dues every year to stay in it, or are you in it forever? No, you. I never got a card. I was a probationary apprentice, technically. Mm-hmm. So the way Local 52 in New York worked, this is a IATSE union. And if you don't know what that means, it's the International Alliance of Theatrical and Stage Employees. Uh, they have a branch in Philadelphia, which is Local 8. If you ever see a concert in any of the big joints, they're those guys. And you pay quarterly dues, which in that local was only 65 bucks, but they took 2.5% off the top of your check to pay for your dues. Oh, wow. You never saw it. so Never saw you, it? No, because it came off the top, so you didn't really care. I mean, at that time, uh, the last time I worked in the film business was 2016. You were still bringing in about two grand a week, for, and that's after New York, Pennsylvania, and dues taxes. That's good, you know? I mean, I was fascinated the stories you would tell me. It's 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 fun to like make believe. It is pretty awesome. We would have I worked on a show Excuse called me. The Family mm-hmm. and I also worked on Madam Secretary, which is still going on. Yeah, and what's they, that about? It's she she took over cuz he got assassinated or is that a different one? I only worked on the first season. Uh so I wasn't really sure what was going on, but oh. we took a basement of a church and you had the scenics, and they're like, we need to make this look like a cave. So the scenics make a paper mache cave, and then the set dressers, what I was, we bring it in, we assemble mm-hmm. it, build it, and then we throw dirt on the floor and stuff like that, and you make it look like she was a prisoner in Afghanistan, but we're really in a basement of a church in the Bronx. Mm. It was it was definitely make-believe, but it's... Awesome. It was so much fun. The stuff you got to see, the locations you got to go to. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff, man. Uh, I'm still trying to to work at it. I just wrote a pilot. I'm trying to get my agent to do something for me, you know. Been, the key to, the, to anything is uh, sticking with it, you know. Persistence. You know, but um, I really think that you don't really have to quit something. I've been doing this show now, Zach. I, th- I thought on the way down here. It's like six years. I was six years, yeah. I, we, when we were at the... The midwinter, that was the, you know, the beginning stages of the Bobcast where I was just doing it on my phone. Yeah, do you do you want to bring that up now? I think I just did. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> if you, you, you and Teresa gave me a ride home that night. Yeah, dude, what a fun night, okay? I think about that sometimes is just like, man, that was iconic. Because I think that was also, too, the last time that Drew's parents threw that festival down there. Because yeah. the Valley Forge Casino came up and they were like, nah, 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 nah. We're going to charge you an arm and a leg to keep this thing going. Yeah. Even though it was bringing drunk. You know, what other customer do you want than Giz- you know, Guinness drinking, French fry eating, greasy fingers on the, you know. They all booked rooms. Yeah. That's why you gave me a ride home. I couldn't Dude, get how about those uh, party rooms up there in the tower? Yeah, the the jungle room. And remember, when all Bill- remember when Billy Spears had that space room? I do. That space room was That wow. was before, you know, the incident. Oh, yeah, so the incident, okay, so the incident, and you can, I think, I don't know if I'm broadcasting live, but I definitely am, like, talking about it, like, right after it happens, so this is what happened, okay? We're backstage, okay? 
and we're out in the alley and people are smoking cigarettes, people are laughing, and I'm thinking, you know, it's a great time to start recording another episode of the Bobcast, because back then I used to just film it, excuse me, record it on my voice recorder on my iPhone. So we're all, you know, in good spirits, feeling real well about the evening, you know? Zach is feeling so good, in fact, that he himself is wearing... A kilt. A kilt. And, you know, when you're at a midwinter Scottish-Irish festival, what better thing to wear than a kilt, okay? So, we're drinking, and then in comes the secondary character of this story, and that's Mr. Ian Reed, who's coming here on the show in a few weeks. Um, Ian is uh, he's smoking a cigarette, and he's annoyed with Zach. And he's annoyed with Zach, because Zach just lifted up his kilt and showed everybody... His penis. And oh, it what was did the Ian scrotum do? piercing. It was the scrotum piercing. Excuse, excuse me. That's a I good mean, it fact. Was all See, there. that's why I'm not a lawyer, because I would blow it. Yeah, it's like, all right it. there. So, yeah, we'll talk about the fact that you got that piercing and how much pain that must have been. I, it was nothing. But, okay, so that's nothing, because this is what Ian does. Ian takes his cigarette and puts the ash out on your balls. Yes, he did. And you didn't even flinch, bro. No, it was... You, this is what you did, Zach. This is what you did. You looked up at me, and you looked up at everybody. You're like, yeah. <laughs> well, it was kind of awkward. It, no, not the fact that my yeah, genitalia like, you, was that. You, you, you weren't in pain. You were like Anthony Kiedis like, on the beach like after he like has you know sarsaparilla or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was... It did Well, the booze probably helped at that point, but... I mean, it was cold. Dude, was that painful? No, not First, at all. Okay, the piercing. Was the piercing painful? No, the piercing is just like getting your ears pierced because it's uh, it's a lot of loose skin mm. down there. You know, it's not like they pierce it when you're cold and it's all nice and tight. Yeah, isn't that weird that God, whoever did this in the universe, was like, nah, 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 you're going to get cold. And when <laughs> you get cold, things change. I always had this theory when I was a younger kid about uh, somebody that came up with refrigeration got the idea from the... Uh, the, uh, the fact that their their balls retracted when it was cold. Like, oh, when it's cold, I got to keep things warm. When it's warm, I need to keep them away. Like, oh, there's oh, something here. Yeah, and they were just sitting there by the fire like, yo. Yeah, because, you know, they're, they're nice and warm by the fire. And then I got to go to bed and it's mm. cold. And they're like, well, something's to be said. And, and then they'd sl- they'd sleep next to the fire and then burn themselves, you know? Yeah, so it sounds unpleasant. Yeah. But no, that that piercing, uh, which is called a hafada. You still have the hafada? I do. I still had the only piercing I took out was my industrial. Uh, and which explain is, to the listeners what that is. It's in your ear. It goes through the top cartilage and then the middle cartilage of your ear. And the only reason I took that out is because uh, when I met my my now wife. Um, when she would ride me, it would get caught in her hair, and she would lift her head up, and it would almost rip the piercing out. So oh, I decided Jesus. to take that out. That's insane. Yeah. All of those Did that, it almost happen? Uh, yeah, it happened almost... twice, and you were talking about three strikes earlier mm. this evening. I wasn't going to let it get to a third. Yeah, but... right? So that's the, that's the message tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Three strikes and you're out, dude. Okay? It's not like th- oh, that strike three, and then you get another one. Nah, you're yeah, that's out. It. That's okay? how it works. So you get two chances with me, and then after that, you're out. If somebody, yeah. if somebody is 60% negative all the time, you don't need to be friends with them. I learned that from Joe Rogan. I must have quoted it a thousand times here, but it is true. Don't surround yourself with people who make you feel less about yourself. Because life, you only got one life, apparently. At least that's all we know about. Yeah, I ain't got time for that shit. I got time for that shit. I'm that's here true. to do. I'm here to do what. Would you say I'm here to do what I want to do? I like that saying. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I when you go, when you go to the movies, you're like, I'm here because I want to watch this. I want to watch this right now. That's right. Exactly. And I feel like, especially with today's culture, you don't get that many opportunities to do what you really want to do because you're obligated to act in a certain way or you're supposed to, well, this is what it is. Like, nah, dude, this yeah, is what I right. want to do. I know. It is so sad that you're just, people are just, no, I can't, I, I can't do that. Huh? Why? Why can't you do that? I, I mean, I can. I don't want to. I know. There's a but big also, difference. we're family men now. We're not crazy like in our early 20s when we would have you know, taken on the security at the Plymouth Mini Mall. That yeah. is very true. I did a lot of things. Like, I actually, I like that you brought that up because at, since I've been, I guess since I've had a steady job because the film business mm-hmm. was never steady, uh, I'm home every night, which I wanted. That was my choice. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel boring overall. You know, like go to work, go to the, the pub or wherever I see friends and shoot the shit. And I like that. That's one thing I like to do is, is mm-hmm. converse. That's what we're doing right now. Um, but I feel like I used to read a lot more. I used to have a lot more time. And you think get about older. it. It's hard to process so much. Listen what? to this guy's car horn out here. Is that what that is? I hear it. Dude, I'm going to check the playback on that, but I'm pretty sure I just said, listen to this guy's car horn. And then it just stopped. It did. That's because we control it here. Okay. But it, I feel like as I've gotten older, and you're older than I am, that I am not as interesting, and it kind of bothers me some days. But then I think about what do I have to do? You know, when I was in film school, I didn't have anything to do. So I would read all day, or I would take the book to the pool, or I would go wherever and get drunk, and now it's like, well... Okay, what is it that you want to do? What do you want to do right now that's interesting? I would like to, I would like to read a lot more than I do. Um, would, have, have you ever done like Audible, or like where you're at work listening n- to? No, because I still drive a '99 Jeep Wrangler that doesn't have a cigarette outlet, or mm. it only has one working speaker right now. Mm. So well, why don't you get some uh, some earbuds and just listen to some books on the way to work? It when I was going to Atlantic City, that was great. Now, you, have you ever done that, by the way? Have you ever listened to a full book? Because I've never done it. I'm just no. telling somebody right now, you, this is what you should do. I don't know if it's enjoyable. I like reading, but I can tell you that you are correct, Zach, in that when I was in my late 20s, I was like, yeah, give me all of Kurt Vonnegut's books. I'll read them all. But then as I got older, I mean, the last book I read was The Woman in the Window. Apparently, it was written by this ghostwriter I forget the guy's name, but apparently he lied about shit. And it's a great book that's going to be a movie. And I had to read that, I think, last summer. And it's been honestly that long just because my life's so full. Exactly. My job, the kid, you know, and family. Bedtime. And then I get 45 minutes before my eyes start to go south. Dude, Zach, I got to tell you, I, uh, I used to have a really bad problem with uh, like sleeping at night. Because uh, I think that it was, I was taking melatonin to help myself fall asleep. Got off the melatonin. Went through two weeks of like withdrawal. Knock on wood, sleeping again, dude. Yeah, I yeah. S- I don't sleep. I have no problem falling asleep. Yeah, I it's wake up in the middle asleep. of the night. You yeah, piss in the middle of the night. Oh yeah, of course. What time you piss? Uh, usually between two and three. It's the worst, right? Okay, so mine's like three thirty-four. Oh, I'm you usually know? up between four thirty and, it's and five. It's always the same time, which really freaks me out too, because it's like my body's asleep and just being like piss and it's not like it's frustrating it's very frustrating because it's like it's the type of piss where it's like you know you get there 
And it's not like, you know, you've been waiting in line to get into the, the vet in 1991. You know what I mean? Like, you got to wait, and then it comes, and then it takes too yeah, long. Yeah, you, you got to give it I mean? a shake or two. Ah, oh, dude. Do you, a, do you dude, turn on the, the light? you get, never turn the lights no, on, dude. Here's, what, well here's what I do, okay? If you're old like me, okay, when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, what am I going to do? Just okay, piss. Just piss, but yep. keep your eyes closed, okay? Don't turn lights on, and for whatever the hell you do, okay? And I made this mistake. Because I use my goddamn phone for an alarm cock, which I, so I, do I. I don't. If you look at your phone when you get back in bed, it automatically senses you. It, it takes bombards you. Off you. Well, it, no, it's just even the light alone, even if maybe if you have it on dim or something, it just takes you out. Just don't open your eyes. You know, open them so you can see if you're hitting the bowl. You know well, what I mean? Well, you can hear it. Yeah, you can hear it. Isn't that true? Yeah. You know, okay, this only goes for the guys that are listening to this, and apparently it's just almost like an equal amount of people. From my anal- analysis, you can hear it, and if my... you can't, just, just you can stop. hear it. You you know when you're missing big time, yeah, because that's the worst. And uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it, you know. But uh, yeah, as I get older, I would like to not pee at night. I I think there's something that I've seen on Facebook or wherever. Somebody's like, you can have one of three wishes. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, and one of them is like, you can sleep eight hours straight every night. I said, man, I don't know what that's like anymore. Dude, you know, it's the worst. When you have insomnia, it is just so... It's frustrating. I can tell you one thing. Okay, so I did learn this trick. Okay, if you have insomnia and, like, you know, it's, like, two, three hours before you got to get up and you know you're having that type of insomnia sleep that's, like, just, like... It doesn't feel like sleep. It's not sleep, but it's, like, this vegetative state where you're in between... Physically, like, but not physically, mentally. Physically, yeah. Get in the shower. Don't take a hot shower. Take a freezing cold shower in the morning. It shocks your system into um, going back to normal. Try it. One of the tricks that I learned when I was in the film business was because we were working long hours. You know, you work 12 hours, it's an hour commute. You, you got a 10-hour turnaround, but you didn't sleep a whole lot. So a lot of us pretty much drank to yeah. fall asleep. And somebody told me this trick, which works until it doesn't work because your brain figures it out. But what you do is you count... One, ten, two, nine, three, eight, and you count forwards and backwards, and you keep doing that, and eventually your brain starts to get confused, and it doesn't want to deal with it, so you just kind of black out. Oh, yeah, I did read about that. And it's great until your brain realizes what you're doing, and it doesn't work anymore. So then the next trick I learned from going to yoga all the time was, you know, breathe in and you say this you breathe in through your nose out through your mouth the issue with that is just what you said that kind of sleep that you get is a physical sleep it's not really a mental sleep you know that your body's resting exactly you know that you're resting but mm-hmm. you you're not really asleep <coughs> and it's sad it's it's really frustrating especially because like what i do for a living is dangerous you know and if you go to work hungover if you go to work tired you know if you step the wrong way you could fall to your death you know and that's that's where you try and get a good night's sleep every night so yeah man it's serious stuff dude i don't know how you do it man i'm scared to death of heights literally it's not the fall that'll kill you it's the stop i know but like i'm not so much it's the fall is what scares me because it's just that anticipation of like, cause I, I have experienced, um, just the other day, I missed a stare at the escalator at the King of Pressure Mall. I almost fell I to my death. I worked on those. <laughs> Dude, I almost <laughs> fell to my death. 
It's I almost fell to my death, dude. You, in the you mall. learn to especially I've been in sneaking the, out of work to buy a comic book at Uncanny, King of Prussia. You know what I mean? I mean, I've been in that business now, going on three years, and you really do get used to being in that state. Uh, you don't become complacent, but you're aware. You're more aware of it, but you're more comfortable with it, and you know, okay, I I can't do this. I can't do that. Don't grab this. It's the what? What's this? Nothing phases you at work. You're not scared of anything. No, there's definitely times. Uh, so, like when you're changing ropes on an elevator and you got to hang the car. So basically, you have coffin hoists and you jack the car up. So the car is only hanging by these coffin hoists, which are hanging off the rails. Mm-hmm. And what are they called? Coffin hoists. Whoa, that's scary. Not not. Is it coffin well, hoists? Because if you lose the hoist, you're in a coffin. It's it's. They're technically called coughing. Okay, but the guys called it that because if you lose this control, right, you're going in the coffin? Well, yeah, you would. It's Well, actually, if, if they failed, you wouldn't be too bad because the elevator would just drop a, a few feet until the ropes regain tension. So basically, you jack a car up to get um, slack in the cables. It's terrifying to me. I mean, I can show you pictures from the no, I believe 40, you. I believe you. of the hard drive. I'm, I'm scared of that stuff, man. I'm so scared. I don't know where that came from, too, because I liked King Kong when I was a kid. So, I mean, go figure. I have learned that if... You know what I actually say? I bring this up occasionally to Melissa. Somebody, I don't know where I heard this from, but it's not mine. Somebody asked, you know, what is your biggest fear? And they replied, my biggest fear is that someday the person I've been married to for 20 years, I'm going to hate. Mm. That's my biggest fear in life. Yeah, that is. Yeah, stuff like that. So when you really think about it, you know, every morning I get up and I give Melissa a kiss and she says, be careful. Uh, you think about that and the companies try and reinforce that. And you just, yeah. you don't really think about it when you're at work. You just want to focus on the job. You know, the dangers you get used to it, man. Eventually it's, it's pretty I, cool. I guess it's kind of just like, uh, being in a band or something. You just gotta get used to it. You know, it's yeah. I don't know what that's like. You would. I think the scariest thing would be to fall down an elevator shaft into snakes for me. That would be double the fear right there. You're not like going to feel it, it. Just the snakes, though. Seeing them, that would scare me as well. I got no problems with snakes. Ah, terrified of them, dude. Like it's indie. the worst because now my son's like, Daddy, you don't like snakes? What's wrong, Dad? And, like, dude, if he goes for snakes, like, I'm just going to lose it. You know? I'm just going to be like, buddy, no. Well, he doesn't, whenever we see him or I see him, <clears throat> he doesn't talk a whole lot. Oh, he talks quite a lot at home. Yeah. But we're out in public. He's, you know, he's kind of reserved. Yeah, but you're kind of the same way. True. Yeah, it is true. That's I not surprising, especially because you've spent the most time with him. I know. I spent a lot of time with him. It is important, um, I guess, you know, to get him out. He's. We're very excited about him, though. He's, he's doing, like, great things. How old is he now? He's uh, three and a half. Okay. And you guys are all in January, right? We're all in a row, yeah. So he's the 22nd, the wife's the 23rd, I'm the 24th, my mom's the 25th. It's crazy. Enero. That's what we do. Like Elvis, you know what I mean? The king, baby. That's it's pretty cool, though. It's no, gotta it be sucks, nice. sucks, man. I've been talking about it here on the show, <laughs> okay? If you're born in the month of January, you're always getting old with the new year. My wife It's is, something I never understood until like two weeks ago about myself. My wife's birthday is January 3rd. She hates it. She hates it. Every year See? I feel terrible 
because you're already it, drained yeah. from Christmas, you're already drained from New Year's. I'm like, hey, it's yeah, your New birthday. Year's. Boom. It's your birthday. We try to celebrate New Year's, and then we'll just do something between the two of us, you know, because it sucks. It does suck, man. I mean, like these things we made up to do to ourselves, to torture ourselves. I think we should only give give gifts during the holidays, you know. I love birthdays, man. Birthdays are great. You do. I remember that. I remember you told me that once. I try to... I guess to... for me it's sad because it's always at the beginning of the year. Well, you're not born in the best month of the year. Ah, oh, it's the worst. Yeah. I mean, and October born in is 80, wonderful. You know? It, but whatever. I'm, I'm happy to be alive. I, yeah, I understand that. But it, it definitely sucks, especially like my mom's birthday is December 11th, and my father died on uh, December 9th. So my mom's birthday is ruined for like the rest of my oh. life. So she's she's a little bitter about that, but that's a different topic. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about it, you can. No, that that'll be a whole series if we want to talk about my mother. And if Melissa listens to that, she will understand. Well, you know, you know Rosa. Family's tough, you know what I mean. But the thing about them is they ain't going nowhere. You no. Know what I'm saying? But yeah, oh, it's it, it, it's just the way it is. I mean, it's weird, right? If you think about it, it's weird. That the only thing, like the reason we we do this. Imagine if like we treated everybody like we would our brothers, sisters, or wives, I don't or have like siblings. everybody. Well, yeah, that's right. You don't, but yeah. like anybody that you you care about. You know what I mean? Like everybody just feels that way about each other in general. Like why wasn't it that way in the beginning? Like who was the first person? To be like nope, don't come over here. And that's where it all went wrong. Just it's probably the same guy that uh, had his nuts in the cooler, and you know, in the design. I I remember when I moved to Florida. It was the first time that I ever lived on my own, and I loved it. And all of my friends had a key to my apartment, and it was kind of just a whatever you need, you don't need to knock, come over. And now that I've I've moved back home, mm-hmm. we live close to family. It's this, you know, my mom be like, oh, well, I wasn't invited over. Like, you don't need to be invited over. Just come over. You, you're you seven miles. My mom lives in Plymouth Meeting. We live in Ambler. Come over. Well, I didn't think we could. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. And it's like, no, I remember you telling me the one day right after Tyler was born uh, about your old man coming over. And he just shows up. He doesn't tell you that he's coming yeah, over. He just shows up at the door. I'm like, Dad. Like, I still just, own like, you. I still own you. Oh, You're yeah. from my loins. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, yeah. even though it's your house. And it's like, no, nah, dude, that's not how I'm that works. I'm your son to tell you I own you. You're like, yeah, I, I'm aware, Pops. That was back in the day. Now it's... And I don't mind if my parents come over. I don't mind if my friends did either. It's just like, hey, man, just uh, you know, shoot me a text. You don't need to ask permission. Just say, hey, I, w- I would like to stop hey, by today. I'd like to stop by and say hi. Cool. People I don't would do love that. that. The, we- the weird thing about that also, too, with technology is people don't do that now because they can just do it in their phones. Be like, ah, let's go to their photos, see what their life's about. Be that's weird. That's a good point. You know? So that's why people don't come over no more. At least I do this, though. I do this on Thursday nights j- uh, Zach and it's just yeah it's the best because it's like we can talk we can get through stuff it's like therapy it's I never had therapy this I, is therapy I always went to the me, bar dude. instead I thought this that was therapy. Good therapy a steady flow of it like I used to do it seldomly like monthly there'd be an episode but now if I can stick with it every Thursday you should it becomes this like uh, almost Routine. like society and culture study of like what makes people really tick you know 
And I'm sure every week you get uh, a different type of person. You know, it's not like I do. It's I nice know to... I know your friend base. Obviously, I'm here. Yes, exactly. But yeah. you you get to see a lot of different characters and. Yeah. You know, perspective is, is a big thing. Actually, what I was telling you before I got here, mm-hmm. one thing I thought about talking about was I know a lot of people, uh, you have lived somewhere else. You mm-hmm. lived in L.A. Yeah. Uh, but if you ask the majority of our friends, they pretty much haven't lived in a lot of places. No, they haven't. No. They pretty much, they might have lived in Pennsylvania. We live in Southeast PA, so they might have lived in like jersey or delaware but not too far from the area mm-hmm. and the most humbling and probably the most important experience in my life was when i lived in new york city for a few years mm-hmm. and that really taught you about it taught you not to worry about who that person is if they're they're black they're white they're muslim they're anything mm-hmm. because you know what i need a cab and i don't give a shit who's driving it i need to get there i need to get there and the guy with you know 26 syllables in his name he's probably more american than i am like you know rosa rosa's more american than i am if you want to think about it she's been mm-hmm. in this country longer than i have i just happen to be born here i know we're so that this is it makes me so disgusted about people who get pissed off about you know like people who are racist what what pisses me off is people who think they're above other people because of entitlement that's we're all really the same pissed. yeah we're all the same and i just like somewhere along the lines through you know human evolution the idea of greed and envy i wonder if it was always there like from the beginning like when they were like you know <laughs> you know and like you know coming it's up like a like, space oh. odyssey yeah like did they did they always have it or was it something that gradually built it's definitely like, a socioeconomic thing if we had somebody here as an assistant, we could look this fact up because I'd like to know this actually, and I'd probably look it up tomorrow. That's and I encourage well, you to as well if you're listening to this. You know, these bombcast listeners, you can go take a piss. I'll, I'll talk. Yeah, you want to look it up? You go. You go take a piss. I'll keep talking. All right. <laughs> um, you know, take your time. Be careful going up them stairs. You know, it's scary. It's scary out there in the world today. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you're going to leave your phone on off. That's the foots. You know what I'm saying? The foot soldiers. You remember them? You remember them TMT peoples? You get what I'm saying? You used to come down this way. Shredder. Michelangelo. Leonardo. Donatello. Eating that Domino's pizza. Getting it. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you order it and get it in 30 minutes. Remember that? When I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, if we don't get there, it's free. And, like, nobody had a cell phone to, like, you know, do a stop clock or, like, constantly look at their phone. They were just looking at the microwave being like, oh, man, is that clock right? What time did I start counting? I can't remember. (laughs) Oh, my God, Domino's got here. There's one minute left. I have to pay $19, you know? $19 was a lot of money back in 1993, you know? Getting in pizza pies, you know, my, my father used to be a Domino's pizza delivery driver. And, uh, you know, he used to bring us these pies, which was, you know, a major contributor towards my obesity as an adolescence. Was getting these free Domino's pizza pies coming. Bob, they didn't want it. Here it is. And I'd eat that said pie until it was in my belly. Welcome back, Zach. How was your time up there in the bathroom? Everything came out well. Uh, speaking of, 
Uh, so we can segue into it. You mentioned at the beginning in the intro about um, going up to Williamsport and my time in radio when I was music director at the college oh, yeah, radio yeah. station. And that was great. I, I love that, man. Like You guys allowed me. I'll never forget the one day I was mowing a lawn. You texted me. This was... I was over 21, so it was probably 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. You texted me. I was mowing the lawn. I said, hey, we're doing a show at the Knitting Factory in New York City today. Oh, yeah. I got an intern to give you a ride. So I met them in uh, Huntington. Oh, God, yeah. Dude. I met them in Huntington Valley, and we drove up in a van. Well, her minivan. Met you guys, and then I was the only one that was of age. So we bought two six-packs because we couldn't drink in, in the Knitting Factory. And we got smashed in the alleyway, and we had a great time. It was a good show. And when we got back to, I guess, Huntington Valley, she was like, okay, so that's going to be uh, so-and-so for tolls and gas. And I said, oh, she, I, she straight charged you. Well, she didn't She didn't tell me to begin with, mm-hmm. and I spent all my, my money on booze so everybody could have a good time. Yeah, so what was that round figure she came up with? Uh, like- it, was, it was like 30, 40 bucks, and I said, well... I'm not going to give you a dime, but you never have to see me again, so that's your payment. And I went home. I remember that. <laughs> Yo, man, that was back in the day. That was, that was back those in the, the good times. That was back in the day when I had interns, man. And uh, I was always on the list. I, 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 I really wasn't social back then. Some of them, I can't remember their names. In fact, there was a lot of them. There was a lot. There was a quite a bit that David Hua had uh, established through Malagna Records that we would have these people. Actually, one intern we took to Canada with us, and we wound up hazing him. It was terrible. Um, no, it's, it's part of the process. I don't know if I could even tell it. Um, but, yeah, this poor guy, man, like, he drove up with us, and, like, we just, you know... I have, like, you know, I do a podcast, so, like, I'm constantly talking, you know what I mean? And I used to, like, have these catchphrases in the band, and the whole band would do it. It's like this, like, you know, kind of, like, Tourette's space thing where it's, like, it feels good to say the same thing over and over and over and over, like, chat about it, chat about it, chat about it, chat about yeah, it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was, it was I, I, I have, like, a little bit of a, a tick when it comes to that in my mind. It feels, it tickles my brain when uh, the said catchphrase comes out. And this poor kid, man, like the whole way up, we were just, you know, I think we were saying chat about, chat about, chat about, chat about. And like, but he was so annoyed. But then by the time we got to to Toronto, Canada, he was drinking profusely. He was drinking profusely at the bar, screaming chat about at the top of his lungs. And I was just so embarrassed that like he had taken chat about to this whole new. Nah, it's just good. pure insanity. But no, he 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 was loaded though, and like lewd kind of. So I mean, it was kind of embarrassing. But you know, we gone down. I hey, thought it was punk rock, but I, I mean, mean we like, were... I was I was uncomfortable because the reason I was uncomfortable not was because of what his actions really. But it was just because he was like taking what I was saying and then you know making it into you know a mockery. And uh, I didn't like that. Never saw him again after that. Well, we coincidentally also stayed in the hostel where uh, Tom found. A hypodermic needle on the top bunk, dude. And he's like, Bobby, you want to sleep up there tonight? I'm like, no, man. That sounds like Tommy. Dude, it was the worst, man. You, some you some of the places I stayed were just so disgustingly, uh, just so bad, Zach, you know? I'll send you some pictures of the elevator pits you really want to see. Oh, I found yeah, I multiple needles, used condoms, all kinds of stuff in the elevator pits. Oh, that's interesting. What people, th- yeah, that's it's, wild. It's not interesting. It's pretty disgusting. I think it's interesting in general that uh, there's such a thing as trash collection. You know what I mean? That's, it's like the greatest invention. Where does it all go? It's the greatest invention that people just really take for granted, okay? Your trash, your shit, 
your Pregu that you didn't use in your fucking noodles, that shit is taken and, you know, properly, you know. Do you watch It's Always Sunny? Uh, I, I, I haven't since season 12 just because right, so I do seen, I'm a fan of the show. You've seen what I'm talking about. There. Frank, trash business is a gold mine. Oh, that's where I might have gotten that from. Yeah, it's Uncle, it's uh, Frank. Frank's the man. Frank is the man, dude. You see Frank. that thing where they wanted Danny DeVito to, to uh, be Wolverine? No. That? There's this online campaign by uh, Marvel fans to get Danny DeVito to be the next Logan. And there's like a you know shot of him with his blades out and shit. <laughs> He's in his seventies. I dude, think he's that's the not best, a great dude. He's idea. the best penguin, you know. He, he Batman Returns. He was just so good, man. He's you know? a good actor. Batman Returns, man. I was just thinking about you know Batman's coming up on its thirtieth anniversary. We're going to do I, a, I did do see a that. show. It's crazy, dude. The fact that it's been that long. When you watch it, you don't really. Uh, it didn't really hold up in some parts, just because it looks like Gotham City's, you know. The set wasn't that great, you know, but it's all they had at the time. But exactly. the acting, the acting's still great, though. I mean, I love it, you know. I really enjoyed what Christopher Nolan did with the whole, you know, Batman Begins that saga. That was fantastic. <sighs> you know, I love the Dark Knight. I love the middle one so much because I feel like it's its own. It's him being free and not constrained by anything. The third one, yeah. The first one, I, I got I to be honest, the first one I didn't enjoy. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that one the most. I enjoyed, the, I'm sorry, if, if, if it would make good for the podcast. Well, I can explain to you why I don't, just because, okay, when they announced that they were making this Batman movie, you know, I had this whole other version of Batman that I was going to see on screen. I remember Entertainment Weekly, coincidentally, Zach, today just announced they're no longer Entertainment Weekly, they're Entertainment Monthly. They can't afford to print weekly. End of the time. I'm sure here. they could. But um, what was I saying? Uh, you're t- <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about when they first introduced. Uh, see, because I I worked at the movie theater at that time, and when Batman Begins came out, yeah. I didn't really know anything about it, but I really enjoyed it I, because I, it was okay, something so I, that I didn't know about the Batman story. Oh, okay, I didn't know any of that stuff, and I thought Christian Bale did a very good job. And that was my first introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on the director's name. Uh, Nolan. Uh, yes. Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Which, and I, I had seen The Machinist. I've seen you know multiple works from mm-hmm. Christian Bale. Uh, and I also really like... I think he's a great Batman. I just, I did, for me, it, was, it felt studio-ish. It, my, yes, my, by my, the end of defense. it, absolutely. So Batman Begins... It ends with that CGI train thing. You don't need to do that, you know? You don't need to have this, like, you know? There's, like, all these studio moments you can see that they, they, they put into the script. And, uh, you know, that one I, fe- I felt... I didn't really like the Bat costume. I liked the, the Dark Knight costume very much. And then Dark Knight... Um, what's the last one called? The Dark Knight... Strikes. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises, yeah. No, or... Yeah, Rises. Rise. I don't remember which one. I mean, when when the second one came out though with Heath Ledger, mm-hmm. I mean that was fantastic. It was great because it, it feels like it's a movie. It feels like it could exist except for that ending where it's like I am the bad yeah. guy now. But I mean, I like, agree with that. If the if it just ended with a Joker hanging and it's like we're destined to do this forever, and then just end it. Right well, there. I know you're a big you're a big Joker fan. Actually, I was uh, mm-hmm. during dinner last night. I I had some DTH on and. Uh, Napier came on. That's right. I wrote a song about Jack Napier. We'll, we'll, we can segue or we can continue. We can talk about Napier. 
I remember you guys at that point invited me to uh, practice to slash recording stuff. It uh, it was very nice when I was in a position to be in radio, and mm-hmm. I loved it. I mean, if if I could do that job, um, yeah, it's a fun job, dude. Every day I hear Imagine Pierre, you this every day. Every day I hear Pierre Robert's voice. Yeah, it brings a smile to my face. I know, right? He is the best at that. He is a fantastic guy, but this um, this job is, I guess, if you were going to consider what we're doing right now, a job is not as easy as people think about and they don't understand the planning that goes into it Mm -hmm. and the ability to be able to talk and think right now there are thousands hundreds thousands millions of people listening to my voice right now so if i draw a blank you get what frank would say dead air yeah dead air there's nothing quite like dead air. Sometimes it works, though, for, like, a joke or, like, a scare, you know? Well, yeah, you're that, or if you're on jazz radio and... Yeah, jazz. You can you can have that certain cadence. You know, it's, it's time for... It's yeah. true. That works for that. But especially if you were to consider this uh, talk radio, this would not lend itself well to dead air. But when I was at the music director position in college and that was, I was there from 2006, 2008, you know, DTH was really taken off. Yeah, it was, it was fun times, man. And it was great when I worked at that radio station, uh, they had never had such high ratings. They had never had such participation. They never had any of that stuff. And the one thing I still think about this today, like when you guys release singles, you released, uh, you released like Mission, which is a good song, mixed very well. You released that song, you released Sinner. I thought you had better material on the album. So when I put on Napier, I put on Napier, I put on Rubber Band song, I put on stuff that I liked. That is when I got the response. And I know that we wanted to have a concert and there was a budget and everything, but the overall they didn't vote for you guys because it just was too much money. And mm-hmm. it, well, you're also going against a bunch of podunk bands from Williamsport, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, it's totally that, different. Huh? Those days were just crazy. That was like the, the, the MySpace wars. Yeah, you know? it was your top the bands. Eight. You had Pepper's Ghost of One Cooney. You had Josie Kiff. You had Downtown Harvest. You know, the stupidest thing we ever did, though, was all bands never working together to just form, like, in a massive, you know, like, top-of-the-world event type thing, you know? Where you get a bunch of people together that are talented, you showcase them, have but people come out, you know? People don't throw, you know, they don't, you know. You mentioned this in the intro, though, and every year it's called Pierre's Planner. You were looking for that. Yes. Pierre's planner. He does it every year. I also get the pictures because I was there. Like you said, we did that. Mm-hmm. You guys actually brought me on stage for that one, yeah. which was wonderful because I came back from New York. Um, Jamie, Jamalam, had driven mm-hmm. up from Tennessee. We went to see you guys. Oh, up yeah. In, she did that one, and then she did the other one. You guys played up Man, in, we played so many in shows. June the one year up in uh, Mount Pocono. Mm-hmm. She drove up from Who Tennessee. Who was named that place? God, I forgot about that. I don't dude. know. That was wild. Oh, we got a pack of cigarettes for dude. like five bucks. Yeah, man. It was <laughs> it was interesting, but dude, she, the good old days. She would make cigs. that ten hour drive from Tennessee to come up see you guys, and and we would see you guys everywhere and anywhere. 
And yeah, dude, I was just floored. It was awesome. I, I just could not believe that she had driven all that way. She did it it's more than once. a very once. flattering thing. Remember, it was the place we used to play uh, the River Street Jazz Cap. That's that where you played, up there. Yeah, what was that place? In York or somewhere in Nipah Valley or something like that? Yeah, well, it wasn't York. I'll never York's forget West. the one night. I mean, like, you know, we had good nights there or whatever, you know. But this <laughs> one night, so the guy that was not the owner, but the guy that was like, uh, you know, the wavy gravy of the place, like, you know, the promoter guy. He was like, uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, coming back to the stage. He's like the MC. For a second set. Debauchery is down hall. Well, and I remember looking at Chris Woods' face and being like, oh man, he just called us town hall. <laughs> We're not legit. It. We better hang it up. I mean, your your space was always the general. Uh, the gen- you know, the, the, those are just the best. And I'm really happy in my mind's eye that several times when we were playing those shows, I would look up from my base and just make these like mental snapshots. I used to think that that would last forever, you know. Those, those you like it too. I have like a few. I have like this one memory of like, I would always like play on the left side facing out, so I'd be looking at everybody, you know. Uh, I guess the best angle really behind the drums and everything, and like, it would be like you know like one fifty nine, you know, a.m. And then, like, you know, the clock would hit two, and they flick the lights on, and everybody be drunk, still dancing. Putting cigarettes out on the rug, you know. Oh what yeah, mean? and then we go out back and smoke a bowl, you know. And like the whole place, <laughs> yeah. And like the whole place was just so much fun, dude. It was. It and, was a uh, great time. I think I might have played there maybe thirty or so times. I, I think I might have calculated in my mind. That was your place. But uh, that was fun. I had um, such a great time. I I love the fact that the bar. So full. I mean, full disclosure. If you're a band, and you're listening to this, and you want to know about that, how did I uh, make? money doing that in the beginning i said look um you know we got you can't pay me money let me charge admission and then let me keep the the door and you make all the money that's the only way it's got to be man no other way around it not that you got to pay to play or get people to buy tickets no just give me the place let me organize it and if i'm good at what i do people will come and then you'll make money and i'll make money but and they never always give showed your, up never yeah they show up and i had a good Rapport with the guy he he passed away. His name was uh, Michael McGlynn. The doorman? Uh, no, um, Michael. I think I, I forget his last name. I, I'm sorry, Michael McGlynn. I think his last his name was, but he he was like the general manager, and I think he owned the joint. And he passed away in like the early thousands, and then another guy took over. And then there's Jamie, who I hadn't thought about in the longest time. Remember Jamie, the bartender? No, I was usually drunk. Yeah, so the, I didn't drive to any of those shows. Yeah. Because that was when, when you guys were really getting Nessa, into yeah. that is right when I turned 21. It was like 2006. Mm-hmm. And oh, that must have been wild for you to come oh, into the yeah, scene. Yeah, Zach Braff. I'm always on the, the list. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, which is Zach Braff. Yeah, it didn't matter if it was New York City or uh, anywhere. Dude, I had so many of those. Okay, so Brian McNamee was always Dracula, and he hated At least you had Zach Braff, which was funny, you know? But... Um, he hated like going up to the doorman and being like, uh, Dracula. You Why? Know? That's cool. Because he's, he's not, uh, you know, he's not playful like that in the macabre. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever. I, I would own that. that would he be going down for that. You know what I mean? But uh, I always made him do it because I knew it pissed him off. So that was like the running gag. But I remember the Knitting Factory gig. I remember uh, it being so goddamn loud. And if you go on YouTube, there's actually a video of that night. And it's recorded uh, on one of those Motorola phones. Yeah, and it the is razors. so loud, dude. Well, I remember when but, you guys opened with Golden Dragon down at... Oh, uh, that was the best. I think that's the best gig I ever had in my life, dude. Uh, what, what the hell? XPN. Yeah. And that yeah. was great. We had like the uh, the opening sequence with like the um, the I was kung there. fu movies. Dude, it was, I, I thought it was, it was great. so. Ex- so what I did was to make it so awesome is like okay, before we came out on stage, I had a screen playing, you know, kung fu, early seventies films, muted, but then I had a record of uh, DC Comics a read along thirty five of Swamp Thing. And it was like, you know, telling the story of like coming through like the bog and then like the, you know, the Kung Fu's happening on the screen and we came out with the noise. It was so well, well done. It was all my idea. Okay. I'm going to take credit for it almost 20 it's, years later. Nah, the, it's my idea. You, you should though, Ten. because like if you want to talk about DTH and stuff, like we've, we've had conversations about this before mm-hmm. and you had a mix of different guys. Yeah, I did. And you were always the person that was like, hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Hey, I got this idea for this. Look at this. And they were like, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, if, if anybody knows any of those guys, especially Frank and Chris, mm-hmm. they'll get it. Uh, Larry's a little bit different, which you posted today. You had a Bobcast with Larry today. Yeah, way back, man. Like five years ago. Bobcast four years 85. Ago. Yeah. This is episode 195 or 196. And... Out of all this, I actually don't have Chris's number, but I could text Larry anytime. He'll always text me back. He's always a good sport. I miss him. Yeah, Tom's great. I talked to him the other night myself. I would love, uh, you know, if he didn't live so far away. I'm glad I got that to see him. But, yeah, it, it sucks because it's, you know, well, I still wish that I could play with the band. You know what I mean? Because I thought we were good. It was my band, really. I mean, I became interested in starting a band because of the the whole the whole beginning of it really came from like flyers like i remember like seeing flyers when i was a kid about bands that oh, telephone the area. Poles. like telephone poles and then i've talked about it before like zill fessler had this practice spot which was like next to mcdonald's which was like this like commercial space but because had like, a space in norristown no this this was on um uh ridge pike okay and uh Stuff like that. Like, I would see stuff about bands, and then MTV really, you know, did it. And then seeing Nirvana and, like, seeing, I guess, like, the drawings on his shirt, I think. That's, like, the moment where, like, wait, that looks like something I can do. Oh, wait, I can play the guitar. Oh, I can do this. And, like, it really was just an organic experience of just really wanting, I think, not to be a musician first, but to be in a band. I think that's what I did differently. DTH is... Because I don't know shit. I mean, I know how to play riffs and stuff like that, but full disclosure, I don't. I do not know how to jam. I don't know how to, uh, you know, like play chank for like you know like twenty two minutes. I can't do that stuff. My attention deficit disorder just doesn't work. I want to play rock and roll, but that's not everybody. I know, I know. But for me, it was always this weird thing where it's like I would just memorize riffs. I I don't know if all musicians do that. If they hear it from. Did you happen to hear the interview today on Preston and Steve with Jack White? No, I missed it because I did tweet them, though. You, did you they should. ask him? Did they ask him, hey, why don't you ever come here and play? They, no, they didn't. Uh, I happened to be in the vehicle at the time, but they asked him a lot of good questions about you know what it's like to be a musician and 
how this how do you realize that this is going to be something and he, he even said you know uh, seven nation army icky thump all of these type of uh riffs you know you would stick with and he you would say they're like yeah that's not really that interesting you know nothing of this and there's some of their biggest hits and he said what your problem is 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 you don't it's not really a problem but you can't understand what i'm hearing or mm. thinking about so when i tell you when i play this riff on an acoustic guitar think about it with distortion and think about it with this somebody goes yeah yeah, yeah just play it and all they hear is the acoustic guitar you know uh, but jack white hears it differently yeah and true. i think that's the way that some people attack it. And they also attack screenplay writing that way or, like, you know, even cinematography, the way somebody frames a shot Absolutely. or set decorates, you know? I find that fascinating, though, that if, like, you could figure a way to all collectively get in touch with this, like, type of creativity. That's to, what I loved know? about the film business. I'm sure that's probably what you loved about being uh, yeah. in a band. Uh, being in a band was the, the best because, and, like, for me, I think, too, like, one of the... The coolest things about when my band came up was it was the beginning of this whole thing that I talk about all the time, the rise of the Internet and stuff. And, like, the fact that it, I was so excited about flyers growing up that when MySpace came out in, like, whatever, 2004 or five, the notion that, like, my bulletins, I could write crazy shit. I used to write paragraphs of everything that I thought was cool, just, like, paragraphs of shit. And... um I would post it, and the the fact that everybody would see it excited me so much, and I was just, like, relentless with it because I think if you're going to do something, you know, like, there's this whole, like, notion now of people being like, uh, oh, it's cute, might delete later, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I see that shit. Just do it, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. No, people want attention. But, but I'm, I'm fortunate, though, to, like, come up in that time to utilize MySpace and to actually profit from it. I mean, those bus tours we did were... Those were memories I'll never forget, man. I mean, were I, you there at the time the bus couldn't make the turn? No. Dude, this bus... We were in downtown New York, right? Going to play Arlene's Grocery, the meatpacking district, whatever. You I know? know what you're talking about. And uh, the truck driver just couldn't make the turn. And we were late. So I got out because I got, like, you know, panic attacks when it comes to transportation and shit like that. Getting to the club. I want to make sure that we're checked in. It turned out no how to, like, turn the wheel. Help this bus driver. <laughs> Crazy, right? I remember th- these are the, the weird things I remember about the, all those gigs. It's good the memories. There were there was a lot of good memories. Well, a lot of fun things. I, I mean, that's you mentioned the beginning when you guys came up to the Bullfrog. I think there was probably there was less than fifty people at that gig. Yeah, but you but, know what? Though we used to have some of the best gigs and nobody was there. We had a great time. So we mm-hmm. drove up. We we left here because I went up with you guys. Mm-hmm. You slept on a, a mattress on the floor in my bedroom that dude, night. Dude, I totally did. I slept on a <laughs> box spring, <Yeah>. dude. <laughs> Worst sleep ever. But you know what, though? It was like punishment. We didn't sleep that long. No, we didn't we sleep were that out. long, yeah. But Tom, I'll so never that's forget. The thing, that's the thing about Tom and I. Tom and I, when we were on the road, like you know how like some people are like, you know, no, 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 we're going to sleep. Nah, no. we'd be up and we'd be like, it's time to go. You were, yeah, I you remember sleep, that. Sleep in the van, dude, because we had to be on time, dude. Because you know what, dude, that's the one. That's another thing. If someone's listening, that's in a band, be on time. By the way, tonight I didn't get a chance because we just went right into it. Because you are a professional and you get this, dude. What were you like eight minutes early? Yeah, you at know, least. prompt, prompt, yeah. ready to go. 
You know what I mean? Like, always be on time if you're a band. Don't show up late to the venue and be like, ah, ah, I need to check my, uh, you know, my nah. batteries and my pedals. Don't do that. It's not dude. how that works. My God, dude. And I don't even work in that business. I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm so convinced I know how to do the job that I would open, like, my own management company. But I'm not doing that. Because, you know what, even that in itself is a struggle because of the way the business is structured now. And the, the way that the business is structured now, it's only going to work for the people who see the potential to invest money right in the moment where it's super hot. So you can't present yourself when you're not super hot, you know? You can't come out of the house not ready to rock, you know what I mean? It's just the way it is. And yeah. my band struggle with that. Like, I mean, like, we, like, you know... The, I really wish in hindsight that I'm, you know, we could go back in time and really utilize the fans more and understand what was going to happen with MySpace and everything, you know? Like, you know, like the fa like Facebook fan clubs, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Like uh, being able to s share music on SoundCloud, you know? We didn't know what know. Where the future was. I thought it was going to be like that for like 20 years, man. Of course. You know, and now it's like <laughs> two oh, years got, later, like the new Mac computer comes out. I'm just like, oh, man, it's just so much stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's too much. And, you know, I, I miss the simplicity, but I'm also very fortunate. So I guess I'm a hypocrite in the sense that, you know, I benefited from it, you know? Yeah, it's I get what you're saying in that it's it's nice to have the option, but you don't always have. The ability to turn it off is not always there. It's not so easy. I know. I know. It's not. I mean, like, I, I, I somebody asked me the other day because I did this festival up here in the in country. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, somebody's like, aren't you playing, Bob? I'm like, no, nah, I retired. And, like, I get the same reaction all the time. What? I know. No. It's nice, though. It's nice to, like, let this. I, I, even if I don't, it's really, I think I get why, like, musicians do that. Like, Tommy Lee and everybody's like, oh, we're retired now. Because they want to see people's reaction. Because when someone's like, why? It's exactly the reason for musicians who are so upset with it to well, get upset. Because, I mean, the same people who say why are also the same people, quite frankly, who never come to shows. You know what I mean? Yes. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I have such weird feelings about it now that I got old and I'm just like... Uh, maybe, you know, do it again, but for what, though? If I'm going to do it again, it's got to be just because I like it. You know what I mean? I don't care if somebody else doesn't like it. It's got to feel like 100% freedom. Well, that's, that's, the, that's, that's usually the how main thing feel. I got from, from Kurt. I didn't even know he was on drugs when I saw the video in 92. When he's like, punk rock should mean freedom. You know, like, I was just like, yeah. Have you okay. seen the video of them and, like, I guess they're in Europe in the bathtub and all that. Oh, yeah. I've seen all the videos. Yeah. Melissa, she's a huge uh, Nirvana fan. She showed me all that. Yeah, but... I always get into it sometimes with people. I've gotten into it numerous times on the show. Matter of fact, if you're new to the show and you're listening and you want to go back to hear a fascinating one, go back to uh, the one where I review Montage of Heck. And I had the director call me, cuss me out for well, illeg illegally downloading, downloading his movie. Well, that's, I mean, somebody that's in the film business, we could have a, we could have a whole nother podcast about that, but I know, um, segueing off of what you're talking about, like what happens between an audience and a band and yeah, like I always thought at least locally and I tried to where I was in upstate, uh, Pennsylvania, tried mm -hmm. to broadcast you guys too, like. DTH eventually it just kind of burned out like what exactly happened there 
Um, so sometime around October the 10th, 2010. That's ten day, or eight days before my birthday. That's when the band broke up. When Chris told us he didn't want to play. Ten, ten, ten. Chris told us he didn't want to play. I think he didn't, t- he didn't tell us that night. He let it. I let it like uh, marinate for like a couple of days. We didn't talk to each other, and then I called to try to arrange another practice for something else I was planning. And then he let us know. I think he let us know through text. It's kind of rough. Or email. I'm not really sure. I save all my emails too, by the way. But I mean, he just didn't want to do it no more. He wanted to pursue other things with Grimace Federation, his other band, actually Orbit to Leslie at the time. Um, I thought about fighting him too. Th- and nail for it but the fact was i was just so tired of you know fighting for a vision you know when you when you, so when you fight for a vision so long it doesn't become your vision well be, yeah you have to deal with all the other guys yeah and like it just became like you know and like i firmly believed looking back because it had it happened previous other time if there was the chance to replace chris with somebody else we wouldn't because or wouldn't I wouldn't work. speaking for me because it just wouldn't work personally. So I mean, I, that's I agree as a fan. to me is uh, the like we couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done it to him as much as it upset me that he left the band. I still couldn't do it to him, and I wouldn't do it to him. I'm not bad talking to the guy, you know. It's just that that's the reason why. And he sings a lot of the songs. And I don't think I've ever told. I don't think I've ever told anybody. I don't think I've ever said it here on the show. But I mean, that's the truth. And. Um, if it was up, if it was up to me, guys, I'd, I'd, I'd still be doing it, you know, because I'm good. At, I know I'm good at doing it, and it's like when you're good at something, you want to share that and make people feel good about themselves, you know. And I didn't understand that when I was a kid, and I think that's what pisses me off the most, Zach, is that when I was a kid, when I was like 28, you'd get my jollies off at the General Lafayette Inn or whatever, you know what I mean? I didn't understand that it wasn't just doing something to me because I was still young and self-centered. It was helping people, and, like, it was something that they would still talk about in 2019, like you were tonight, you know what I mean? And, like, I think that's the part. And, like I said to you about 20 minutes ago, this is, like, therapy. I've never made that correlation until now. Yeah, it's – I still listen to DTH. I've sent you, Frank – Chris is the only member I don't have his number, but if, you know, there's a a drunken night where – listening to you guys and I'm feeling good. I'll send you a message. Send a text, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'll send you a message. Let you know that I'm still listening to you. Like you, you guys, even though you know, I might not be playing, you're still around. So Jack Napier, let me tell you a little bit about Jack Napier. It's my it's favorite song, song. On, on golden dragon. And, uh, it is one song that I wrote the entire, I wrote all the music, the, the baseline, the chords and like the arrangement, I guess of the course, but Tom and I, Jack Napier is like the stepbrother of Alexander Hayes as far as like writing style like goes. That. Like we had written Tom and I in a way where like, you know, it was just him and I in a room. And like I, I would always write to the beat, like on the beat, like those are the days that. Yeah, that's Hayes Alexander Hayes. Yeah, so like I would do that and like Tom would then, you know, throw his like little takes into stuff and make it different sorts but it would we'd always come out with something so with jack napier it was at a, in the middle of like you know uh golden dragon and like i came up with a riff and like he was like what do, what do you want the song to be about and like every time i played the main riff the dum 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 i yep. just thought of the joker like sounds smilex you know what i mean like the commercials and uh, i was like oh we should just we should call jack napier and he's like you know let's write the song and i remember talking to tom being like I want it to be like he's confused about all the characters he's ever been. He's going out in the town, but he circles back to being Jack Napier, you know, a.k.a. the Joker. 
you know, and like there's there's references in that song to like Mars Attacks. There's references to uh, absolutely just a bunch of different things. I think it, I was also really inspired by the movie Wolf when I was a kid with Jack Nicholson. Yep, I see. Yeah, it was such a weird movie. I think it's that involves good. an elevator too as well. It's weird in a good way. Um, but uh, yeah, Tom and I, you know, we wrote songs really well together because I think I was more the artist and he was the musician, you know. And like we, we would blend that version together because Tom's a fantastic guitar player, you know. It's a good pairing. And then the other guys we would have to, you know, I would also write well with Chris. Chris would like come up with these like dope hip hop beats. Chris wrote That's the, his Chris, style. That's Chris a wrote good the rubber band song. I wrote uh, Shimmy. Uh, Chris wrote um, Hills of Beverly. I wrote, um, what was the one that I did that I was proud of? You can tell Frank writes the more bluesy. Frank did like TKO. Uh, I remember he Dude, TKO up- is one of my favorite songs because it catches mm-hmm. you very off. You know, it, it sounds oh, wait, one uh, way and the, then boom. Ah, the other one that I wrote down. that I never thought that would be picked for this, this single, like you were saying earlier too, was uh, Sinner. I, I wrote that uh, on a guitar. I wrote it on Gus's guitar from Brother in Los Angeles in 2006. Sinner, I mean, that's the thing is when I listen to, mm-hmm. like I said, I just listened mm-hmm. to the whole discography that I have last night. Mm-hmm. And when it's over, you're like, oh, it's it's over now. Oh, I know. Okay. You know, there is other stuff that we had that we never got a chance to put out. Look, I, I'm down to do it. I mean, like, it's it's not feasible with Tom being away. Tom says, you know. I mean, they would play again, but the thing is, though, it's like, would it be as good as it was? I mean, yeah, I, I want to do it, but, like, the logistics now are just crazy. No, I mean, technology is there, but it's it's I not know. the same. I mean, even when I it's saw, tough. he was here this past winter, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I saw that, and it was like, damn, Tommy didn't even let me know he was here. I know. Because well, I remember Tom's when you like, guys got Tom a royalty were very check. Sim- we were very, very similar, and, you know, Tom, like, at parties, we'd be very sociable, but then, like, you know. He's very private as well. He oh, but yeah, but I could text him. I could text him right now, or I could text him yeah. at two o'clock in the morning, and he'd be like, "Hey, buddy, what's going on?" Yeah, but he's always friendly. You guys got a royalty check one day, and he was like, "Hey, we're throwing a party. You should come." And I was like, "Dude, I I gotta work. Like, I'm in New York City." He was like, "Nah, just, just come down. Go to the party." And it's like I appreciate that. That's really nice of you. And he's like, "Well, you know, when I was at school, you know, we had." It's funny that you're interviewing me and I've interviewed you. That's mm, good. I like being interviewed. Nobody ever interviews me, so I appreciate it. it. Dude, like I said, being on the radio was one of my favorite jobs, and it's not as easy as people think it is. No. To actually, because what you're going to end up doing is taking a lot of this content and you're going to have to sift through this and piece it together this? to make a story. It's just like filmmaking. You know, we you shoot to. a bunch that, of shit. That, truth be told, I used to back in the day. I used to have just a really wrong setup like for recording these things. I used to have to go back and EQ shit. One time with Jackson, I, my microphone blew out. I had a backup that was my cell phone, but it was it sounded like shit. I was so embarrassed. Um, so this is relatively new, but I mean... Um, with the podcast now, I just record it and then I put the theme music at the beginning with Judah and then I just post it. That's it. I don't even edit no more. Because you know why? Because that's the way art should be presented. I think you, I, you, you can't I like think that. about shit too long. When you think like yeah, maybe there's I'm gonna there's grab a, a beer while you talk. Go ahead, keep talking. I mean, sometimes like you know you you do something and you second guess yourself. You know, and like who's telling you that you're second guessing yourself? You are, I guess. But, I mean, it's just a weird thing, man. Such a weird, weird world, you know. 
I can't believe that. Uh, yeah, but you're not off at all in that. And especially the problem that I ran into working in uh, film business. Uh, I call it the film business. It's mm-hmm. funny because almost nobody shoots on film anymore. But when you shoot on film, you have a finite. This is what we can shoot. This okay? is what we got. You know, this we is all we work. got yeah. today. All right. So go through your rehearsals. You know, the DP is going to check everything. He's going to look at his light meter. He's going to rely on his gaffer. He's going to do everything. The director is going to rely on everybody to do everything. And that's like, I know a couple of years ago, we, we were really into um, uh, True Detective. And you have a, a six-minute one-shot. The amount of work that goes into something like that is amazing. And if you're not in the business, you, you wouldn't really know. But you can appreciate it. You see it, and you kind of realize this is amazing. Sick. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because recently I went back and watched that stuff. Holy shit. There is one break in it that I never saw before. You know exactly when it happens. It's when he jumps over the wall? No, it's maybe that too as well, but I think there's a few, but they're like they're so hard to catch. It's pretty much a one shot though. So the, yeah, it's a one shot, but there's they definitely a there's, there's a couple Okay, so I propose that. Okay, so when he first busts out the party, right? And he's got um, you know, the police officer, or you know, what's his name? Not Reggie Ledoux. What's his name? No, Reggie Ledoux is the guy. Yeah, what's the guy's name with the beard? Yeah, it's been too Whatever, long. the guy's name with the beard, uh, he's pulling him out because he's trying to take him into custody so he could find out where Reggie Ledoux is making the dope. And uh, he busts through into somebody else's apartment. And as he busts through, we hear the helicopter and the camera spins up. You see the helicopter and then there's nothing but blue. And I think there's a cut right there because you can do that with the sky. Like, yeah, you, know? you can. Well, I mean, you yeah. do editing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you, you're you a fan of mm-hmm. the, the film Rope Yeah, from Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. You know, it's at the time... For people who don't know anything about editing, like that was amazing because you're literally cutting negatives by hand. But the idea of moving into the back of somebody's jacket and then zooming out and moving Mm -hmm. in, you you don't ever notice those cuts. No, Uh, you never notice it. No, and and there's kind of the lost art. You know I'm a huge fan of Mad Men. Oh, yeah. And you see a lot of that style of filmmaking in Mad Men as well. And it's just to, for lack of a better term, I I don't want to say uneducated people, but people that are just uh, consuming for entertainment, you're not going to notice that sort of thing. But if you pay attention to film and television, you notice that stuff and you know how hard it is to make that stuff work and to plan it. Planning is everything. And that's like we were just talking about with, you know, having a radio show uh we kind of came in here with this and we didn't really as you said we're just going to do us we'll figure it out we never had a problem talking but if we had to plan something it's going to be a couple hours it's going to be some time that takes this four hours like worth of material like an opening anthony situation i would love to do that that was a job like you know like have like skits and stuff like that it'd be great Absolutely, dude. That's that's that what I so wanted much fun. to do. I used to do that stuff. I used to prank phone call people at Sal Vicksburg here on the show, but I just lost touch with them because I got old. You know, I tried doing it recently. It just doesn't work. I'm too nice. Yeah, getting old, like I said, it's not a bad thing. It's better than I'll try Yeah, enough. but sometimes I, you know, what are you gonna do? You know. All right. So you were talking about just posting this and and not editing things. Like it's. 
It it's got to. Yeah, it's it's got to be interesting to. though because I I saw you got about what like seven eight hundred followers. Well, across the different platforms, I just have twenty seven thousand downloads. So that's kind of like from everything I can see across all like iTunes and all that. Twenty seven thousand times people listen to the show in various different forms. All right, so let's take what we're doing here tonight and. You don't edit anything. Like it's got to be kind of hard to keep somebody's attention, oh, especially really in today's is. world, because you know somebody'll text you, or this will be you know, your wife or somebody's watching something on TV. It's it's hard. I feel like you you mentioned earlier about listening to things on uh, your travel time, you know, when you work. So this is good, you know. But is this good radio, or is this just better than conjecture? <laughs> Yeah, or is this better than regular radio? You know, I, this is the odd thing, and I'm glad you brought this up, okay? So I see how many people listen to the show. I know how many there are, you know? And um, I also know that who not they many... Are? So, no, I, I don't know who they are. I just know the numbers. Okay. And I can tell you they're, like, they're so much larger than what happens on Facebook. Like... Like, I'll post an episode, like, with a friend, you know, it may garner a few likes here and there. You know, n- no one shares. Like you, know you did I mean? with art. Yeah, but so th- this is the odd thing, too, about our culture is that we know it's there, we listen to it, we support it, but we don't let the creator know that we like it. And this doesn't yes. just happen to me. This happens all across the board where people do this as, like, a form of trolling. And you know what? I'm susceptible to that shit. I don't care, man. You know what I mean? Troll me. Come get me. Do things to me. Make me all quandary up in that Mysterio sauce. You know what I'm saying? I don't want anybody to like... I don't want to be influenced by anybody. And I don't want to be an influencer. I just want to be able to provide almost like an audio dialogue of my life for six years now. You know? Well, yeah. And that's... But you've done that in the, the type of guests that you have. You know, like I said, this is... You mentioned oh, yeah, this is my, yeah. my third time on the Bobcast. But if you mm-hmm. listen to the other two times, uh, the first time... Uh, I had a cigarette put out on my balls. Yeah, man. That oh was no, that wasn't the epic. F- that moment. wasn't the first time. It was the second time. The first time. What was the first time? I think that that was first, and then after that was Ardmore when you were upstairs and yes, you were broadcasting. Yes. With- All right. So the, yeah. the first time I got a cigarette put out on my balls. The second time you guys brought me upstage, and I just that day I had just come from New York. It totally is upstage too. It's not backstage <laughs> there. It's upstage. And and Jamie had just come from uh, Tennessee, so like mm-hmm. we, we we had so much love for you guys because when I moved to Florida in two thousand nine, and even when I moved to New York in two thousand eleven, uh, I was driving a fifteen pass van, and I had control of the radio, so fuck people i'd been in the van for an hour already picking all these people up and i play your music at 5 30 6 o'clock in the morning and people go who is this and i said oh it's my buddy's band and they went i need more of this in my life i know man look get the somebody get the band back together i can't do it no more somebody wants to do it you only gotta get three others okay i'm in I I totally understand. I'm wearing my DTH shirt now. Actually, I know I that have... classic. That shirt's classic too, dude. It's, it's that getting shirt thin. It's crazy too because you know, <laughs> isn't it odd how that that kind of thing happens to a shirt? All right, I have so, so many shirts like that that I don't throw out because of the sentimental value of it. I can't just take a picture of it, you know. 
You mentioned in the intro how I only wore black. I did this back in the day, right? Yeah, man. This was this was the transitionary phase. That's I, right. Downtown Harvest brought you into the color. To that's the right. This is a that's nice a good lime green yeah, yo, shirt. That's the best goddamn thing I heard all week. Okay? <laughs> so thank you very much for that, dude. Dude, it, you weren't the only one to notice. My buddy's girlfriend for years. She always said, "Oh, oh, oh my God, Zach, you're wearing color," and it was it was this green. And mm-hmm. this is the only shirt, and I, I rarely wear this shirt because I'm afraid when I wash it, it might fall apart. Oh, buddy. Well, it's it's been it's been close to, what, I guess 2006? So, yeah. you know, it's 13 years. And, you know, I haven't, I've had this T-shirt, but I do have... You know what sucks? I don't, I don't have any of the shirts that we made. Dude, I have, I have my old Mickey man's made. T-shirt oh, that's cool. that you guys gave to him. You know, I really took weird. It. I saw Drew Reed today. He was wearing the black one. Hey, he's he moved back the... to Ambler. I know. He's coming back to the fold. Yeah. He's going to live right around the corner from me. You have the green shirt on today. He has the black shirt on today. Yeah, I still have my old man's shirt, and uh, it's a small. I don't know. I mean, he, he was skinny, but... I, I do have the old man shirts hanging in my closet. Dude, just imagine what it's like for me when I see somebody wearing the shirt or like talking about the band. So it's, it's like it's happiness, but then it's also the sense of like, duh, we could have, you know, had four more albums, you know? Because like I, I, could still write, time. I, I write songs all the time, man, in the shower and shit, like, you know, at home. I still do the chat about it stuff, but, you know, it's much more contained. But, um, you know. Tom always said that he got over it better than I did. I never got over it because it was my band. You know what I mean? It's tough when you think about it. But, I mean, I hope that Tyler has some interest. In he, today I heard him playing the drums again. It's pretty cool. I was just like, okay, this feels good. Pass it down, you know? Yeah, it's – I wish, you know, Melissa's kids, they're, they're not in the center of mine, but I've always encouraged them to play an instrument. And Benjamin is mm-hmm. into beats – yeah, he's making yeah. beats, and he's got a friend. And nothing school. like making some beats, you know what I'm saying? Them eight oh eight. He's got a friend in school. This is his first year. We just moved to the Wisconsin School District, and oh, wow. he he's got a buddy that likes to rap, and Benjamin makes beats for him. So he comes over and lay down some tracks, and oh, very cool. It's it's awesome, and I I'm not a huge fan of it. But I still encourage it. Like, dude, this is great. If this is what you're doing in your spare time, this is fantastic. It's good to have a hobby, you know. I as long as somebody's doing something, not staring at the screen, you know. Yeah, screens are a problem nowadays. I know. I have to do it all day for my job, but it's like I'm so aware of it. I'm just so scared that I'm just gonna go blind from staring at these things, you know. Now you know how I feel about feeling boring. You know, like. Nobody, people are interested about elevators, but overall, they don't. They don't really care. As long as they work, they don't give a shit. It is really true. It's just a blind faith. Like, ah, I guess the guy did it right. Well, they don't know, so I don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, they. they <laughs> I know, but it's just wild. You know, like we just trust. What is like your um, official position title? Well, I'm an apprentice. Uh, apprentice in local five. To and- what? To what legion? <laughs> so well, yeah. So I, I'm part of the International Union of Elevator Constructors, and I am a. You have a four year apprenticeship, and then you take your mechanics test, and you become a mechanic, and all of a sudden you're supposed to know everything. But it's it's like any business, you're never gonna know anything or everything at some point. You know, it's 
Wow. This this person does this differently. This person does that differently. Um, but I'm an apprentice, and you do the best you can every day. You know, you go to the job and you try to fix it. And if you can't, you call somebody. And sometimes it's out of your hands. Sometimes life gets out of your hands. You know, I'm glad uh, Zach that you've been in uh, my life for the last like 20 years. I appreciate yeah. you coming on the show, bro. You know, I, you're going to have to come back on for the fourth time, the fifth, the sixth, you know what I mean, as the time goes on. I'm always available. I've really enjoyed this podcast. I really figured out a lot about myself, and I hope you feel the same way, you know, like you, you get things out of this, you know. This, what is it, where are we at here? 140 minutes, you know. No, it's wonderful, man. It's uh, It's been in the, the process because, you know, things got mixed up earlier last month. Mm-hmm. And you said, hey, yeah, can you do dude, this? That's the one thing, too, about the podcast, okay? For the people who are listening, if it gets rescheduled, I always come through with the reschedule. There's no flaky flake. Sometimes in show business, things come up. You know what I mean? And if you want to come on the show, drop me an email, okay? I'm tired of, I don't know who wants to interview. I want other people, different people that I've never even thought of. Somebody's out there who thinks that they can come here in the lounge for an hour, chat about something. You know, contact me because I know you're listening. Hey, it's me, Bob. I love you. Zach, love you too, bro. Thank you. Love you, brother. It's been another episode of Bob.